Well, we're continuing our series in Mark. Um, today, we're already in chapter 3, and we're going to be talking about hands, uh, healing hands. So let's start together. Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, now remember who his enemies are, the Pharisees, Sadducees, teachers of the law. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come, stand in front of everyone. He then turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So let's just pray together. Um, pray that the Lord would, would speak to you whatever it is that the Spirit of God wants to speak to you, regardless of what I say. That, that is my prayer um, it's just that you would hear something from the Lord because his word is always true and his word has something to offer each and every one of us. So, oh, Father, Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your presence here today. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you and we ask that you would speak whatever it is that you have for each and every person here. Lord, that everyone who is in this room and in the hearing of my voice would be transformed by your word, by your spirit, by your truth. We thank you for your word, Lord. Your word is truth in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of the message is Healing Hands, and we're going to start talking about hands. Um, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again. So Jesus hung out at the synagogue a lot because he was a teacher. He was there to teach, so it was kind of like their, their worship service. And it says here, and I love this, it says, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. So here Jesus is, Almighty God, and He's probably teaching the lesson, but yet he notices this man who has a deformed hand. And it's, it's classic Jesus. You know, it's like the teachers of the law didn't notice this guy. Nobody else noticed this guy, but Jesus notices him. And, and typically, whenever we interpret scripture, we can do it one of four ways. You can do it literally, which is like, this is a historical uh, incident. This actually happened. There was really a man who had a deformed hand. There was an actual synagogue and Jesus healed this man. So that, that's the historical, the literal interpretation. Then there's an allegory and that's kind of, um, that is, is like more of a symbolic story. Then there's the moral meaning. So whenever Jesus talks about something, it gives us clues as to how to live morally. And then the last one, and this is kind of the one I'm going to touch on a little bit more today. This is called the anagogy. And this really is more of like a, like a spiritual interpretation or um, more of a prophetic message. 
And that's kind of the direction that, I, that I'm sensing that the Holy Spirit wants to take this particular word. Yes, it's an actual historical thing, but I really believe that the Lord wants to make a practical application for each and every one of us in our lives. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different sayings about hands. So what are, what are some uh, cliches that use the word hand or hands? Anybody? Let's give this guy a hand, right? What else? Oh, yeah, idle hands are the devil's playground. Anybody with toddlers knows that's true. Many hands make the word work go lightly. Or what, is that what she said? Something like that. <laughs> How about, oh, that guy really needs a hand up. Or a hand out, right? What are some other sayings of the word hand or hands? Give me a hand. Could you give me a hand, right? Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Very good advice. You shouldn't bite anyway. I learned that in third grade. But, um, <laughs> but I, love, I love the fact that the Bible is so, so clear about so many things. And then there are other things that are kind of like really symbolic. And, and the word hand appears in the Bible 1,466 times. The word hands appear 462 times. But the word hand or hands is actually symbolic, first of all, of the heart, heart uh, hands that are open and clean and upraised symbolize a heart that is also open and clean and upraised. But it also indicates and implies power. That's really what, what the word hand represents is power. So whenever it talks about the right hand of God, it's talking about the power of God, but it also, um, on, on our plane, it, it's talking about our works, our capability, our abilities, our willingness, our work ethic. Our hands represent so much more than just these hands, but think about it. Look, just take a minute and just look at your hands for a second. I mean, we get used to it because we've had them since we were born. So we don't marvel, but look at your hand. This is an incredible tool. It's an amazing tool. Our hands can do so many things. Our hands can give. Our hands can receive. Our hands can work. Our hands can create. Um, for, for those of us, I, I know that I talk with my hands like randomly like I don't know if I had to hold my hands at my side I don't know if I could talk but um you know hands actually express they help reinforce what we're saying you know when you talk with your hands mostly Italian people but they also they can communicate like sign language people that know sign language that's a beautiful language um they can also hold things, which is something that separates us from the animal kingdom. One of the things is that we have the, they call it the opposable thumbs, that we can grasp things. Most animals don't have that ability. Um, it can be used when we shake hands. It's either as an introduction, a friendly gesture, or it's, it's a vow. We're saying, you know, let's shake on it, as in my word is, is good because I'm shaking on it. Um, we can use our hands to point so to lead people and guide people and direct people, we can use them to wave um, as a friendly, it's a way of acknowledging, acknowledging someone. We can use them to work. We can push, we can pull. Hands can be used to lovingly caress, to heal, to abuse, 
to protect. Like if, if you know, something's coming at your face, you hold your hands up to protect your face. Um, we can use our hands to clean, to do math. One, two, three, <laughs> counting on your fingers. Um, actually, what's the guy's name from uh, the Rolling Stones? Keith Richards? He actually, this is an interesting fun fact, if you ever play Trivial Pursuit. He actually had his, his middle finger um, insured for $1.6 million because what would happen if that were to get cut off? That would be horrible. Um, also, a lot of surgeons have their hands insured. Like there, there was a world-famous plastic surgeon who insured his hands, just his hands, for $8 million dollars. Isn't that crazy? I thought about insuring my hands when I was, I used to play piano professionally in the San Francisco area, and I, I thought about insuring my hands because if I couldn't have played piano, I wouldn't have been able to make a living. But the most important thing that I think our hands can be used for is when we fold them to pray. Does anybody know this picture, this particular picture? Um, I grew up with this picture in my house um, and, and this man is giving thanks. But when you think about it, when you actually fold your hands to pray, it's, they're, they're still, they're kind of helpless. There's not much you can do when your hands are like this. You know that they're calm, they're not working, they're at rest. And I just think this picture is such a symbol of just faith. You know, he's giving thanks, but he's also, he's... He's just thanking God, and he's demonstrating that he, he trusts that God will provide for him. So the guy in the story with the deformed hand, um, a lot of scholars think that he probably had a disease or he had some kind of a work accident. They don't think it was a congenital issue. They think it was something that came on later in his life. So in those days, in that culture, if you couldn't work, you essentially, you'd have to beg so this guy was probably considered a little bit of a social outcast and he and his hands he couldn't use his hands to make money or to do anything. Um when I was I went down to Mesa last week to spend some time with my parents and I was I was sitting in the airport there was this young girl there probably 17 or 18 years old and she had she had a walk like a walker and she had this huge patch on her leg with a a huge bandage and she had her arm in a sling and a cast on her hand, someone had pushed her through a window. And she was just telling me about how traumatic that was. She was supposed to graduate from high school. She missed her high school graduation because she was hospitalized. And she said that at first, when it first happened, she couldn't feel anything. And she's right-handed. And she said she couldn't feel anything. And she said now she's starting to be able to feel just a little bit of numbness in her fingers. But can you imagine in one second, she gets pushed through this window and her whole life changes radically. I mean, the loss of the use of your hand, particularly your, your dominant hand, is really, that can be really challenging. And in the Bible, the right hand is usually symbolized when, when referring to God. You know, it's, it's his right hand that leads us. And I kind of was wondering, I mean, for you lefties, I, I know this is probably offensive, but the, the left hand was the one that held the shield and the right hand held the sword. So the right hand, that's why the right hand typically is symbolic of power. Um, I guess... A survey that, that was done says 24 out of 100 surgeons insure their hands. 
37 of them don't, and 39 are still considering it. So this is like a big deal. Hands are a really big deal. How many of you require your hands to work? Raise your hand. (laughs) I mean, most of us, unless you're Nick Vujicic, who has no hands and no feet, but he makes the best of it. In Luke chapter 6, when it's talking about this particular story, Luke says that it was the man's right hand, which symbolized that was, that was his method of provision. Um, our hands, when they are used to the glory of God, are used to serve him and to serve others. That's, that's just part of what our hands can do. Um, So this particular day was the Sabbath. We talked extensively last week about Sabbath and the importance of of receiving that gift of the Sabbath. Um, So here it is again, the Sabbath, and Jesus' enemies, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, it says they watched him closely, which essentially means they were spying on him. Some people believe that they set this guy up with a deformed hand. He was probably begging and they they said, hey, come to synagogue with us because they wanted to catch Jesus doing something wrong because they were very threatened by Jesus. And it says, if Jesus healed a man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now, isn't that just typical of the Pharisees? You know, rather than noticing that this man needs help and he needs compassion and he needs mercy, they're much more concerned with the law. And Uh, Ravi Zacharias said that in the garden, God gave them only one law, just one rule. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The one rule. But because they broke that one, then Moses had to come in and bring 613 others. Well, then the Sadducees and the Pharisees took those 613 Levitical laws and they kept adding to them, compounding them, adding all their traditions and saying that that's what the law said, even though a lot of them weren't even really biblical. Um, and so the religious leaders are sitting there trying to catch Jesus. They just want to, they want to bust him because they are so mad at him. And so rather than, than having compassion on this man, they're sitting there spying on Jesus. So <clears throat> we took a quiz last week. How many of you, uh, we're here last week and, and we're so happy that you weren't up on stage taking the quiz to tell how many of the Ten Commandments you could name in two minutes or less. So, how many of you went home and studied and now you know them? Anybody? Good. Okay, number one, you shall have no other gods before the Almighty God. Number two, have no idols. Don't worship anything more than you worship God. Number three, don't misuse God's name. So the first three are about God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, don't have any idols that you worship more than God. Number three, don't misuse God's name. So the first three are all about God. Then what's number four? Four, right after God, Sabbath. Receive the gift of the Sabbath. Take a day off. Take a day where you just do something that's fun, something that you enjoy, something that doesn't suck your will to live. You know, that's what Sabbath is. That's number four. So then what's number five? Honoring your parents. Who pulled this up on Google? Somebody did. <laughs> number, number six? What is it? Don't murder anybody. Good advice. Number seven? 
do not commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't lie. And number 10, yeah, don't be envious. Don't, don't be jealous of what other people have. So Jesus says to them in Mark 2, 27, we talked about this last week. Jesus says, people were not, or the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the requirements of the Sabbath. He said, the Sabbath is, is, was for you. It's not to restrict you or to, to harm you. It's something that's meant to be a blessing to you. He says, the son of man is the Lord even over the Sabbath. And in Matthew 12, 11, Jesus is talking about the same story. And he says, if you have a sheep and it falls into a ditch, would you just leave it there? Wouldn't you pull it out? And he says, don't you think people are more important than sheep? He's like, if it's lawful to do good things on the Sabbath day, you should do good things on the Sabbath day. And this is what he's trying to encourage. But but the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus are just so intent on following things just to the letter. But here Jesus has mercy on display. Jesus wants to prove that he's more about people than he is about the rules. And he says in verse three, Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. He wanted people to recognize this man. He wanted, well, it was right hand. They wanted him to see that, that this guy was afflicted that he was broken, that he was in need. And so he came up and stood in front of everyone and Jesus demonstrated he's about the individual. He cares about the human. He cares about the person. And he wasn't sinning. See, this is the thing. Jesus never sinned. So the fact that he healed on the Sabbath was not a sin because Jesus was perfect. So he wants to show that it's okay to do good things. It's okay to do things that will benefit others. It's okay to serve other people on the Sabbath, to save a life and to do good. So was it good or was it evil? It says he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? But typical Pharisees, they wouldn't even answer him because they didn't have an answer because he knew what was in their hearts. Jesus knew what was in their hearts. And they were much more concerned with the law. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, it says, for the letter kills, the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And that's what Jesus is trying to focus on. It's the spirit of the living God He's much more concerned with that. He wanted to do good. He wanted to help this man. He's essentially saving his life. I mean, basically, the guy will be able to work again. He will be able to integrate back into society. But the Pharisees, remember, they went and plotted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. So Jesus was angry, and he was sorrowful, and he was ready to heal this man. In verse 5, it says, He looked around at them angrily, this is Jesus now. He looked at them angrily and deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Jesus gets angry and he gets very sad when we have hearts that are hard and hearts that doubt and hearts that don't believe that he is who he says he is. Hearts that don't believe that he could actually heal 
or that he is actually for us or that he's not so concerned with religious laws that he wants to just choke the life out of us. That, that gets him mad because he feels so misrepresented. And I don't mean to be irreverent in saying, speaking for God, but you can see here, he was angry at these Pharisees because of their hardened hearts. And actually this word hard hearts, it means it wasn't like an ongoing process. Their hearts kept getting harder and harder and harder because they were so, they missed the whole point of God and of loving God and loving people. They missed the whole point. You know, Jesus could have healed this guy any other time, but he specifically decided he was going to do it on the Sabbath to set people free, to let people see that it's okay. You can do this. You know, it, the guy didn't have like a life-threatening disease or anything. It wasn't like Jesus had to heal him right then. He could have waited until the next day, but he wanted to do it on the Sabbath because he was making a point. And in the same way, I, I, you know, as I was reading this, I was just thinking, you know, it's like the things in us that are most deformed and most incompetent and, and the things that we would consider to be our weaknesses. Those are the areas where Jesus wants to give us his power and he wants to use that for his glory. But those are the things that, that we, try to, we try to hide whether it's our shame or our weaknesses or, or the areas where we feel really um, unworthy. But the Bible says that, that it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. You know, and so much of the time, it's like with our, with our stories, with our testimonies. You know, we're afraid to share how broken we are or how broken we've been because we're afraid that people won't respect us or like us or whatever. And Jesus is saying, no, those are the exact things I want to fill with my power, with my spirit. Those areas where you are feeling most weak, those are the areas I'm going to demonstrate my power. And I just feel like he's saying this to us too, that there are those areas, whether we have areas of doubt or areas of disappointment or frustration or anger, toward him, toward the Lord, or impatience, those are the areas the Lord wants to, to pour out his spirit and use them so that we can see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He longs to do that. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He says in Hosea 6, 6, he says, I want, to, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. You know, the Lord's saying, I, I would rather have you show love. I would rather, it, actually, one of the translations says, I desire mercy over sacrifice. You know, God is more concerned about the broken and the hurting and the helpless and the lost and about healing them and bringing power to them and using us to do that too. That's one of the things he's called us to as believers in him is to be his hands on this earth. You know, when it says on earth as it is in heaven, he uses the physical things on this earth to bring about his kingdom in combination with his spirit. And that's how he wants to work through us and bring healing and freedom to other people. And see, the thing is, it says in verse six, it says that once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Think about the irony of this. 
Here, they're getting down on Jesus because he's, quote unquote, working on the Sabbath when really what he was doing was, was saving this guy's life, with healing this guy. And now the Pharisees are going out and planning to kill him. How ironic. And isn't that just what religion does? Rather than releasing people and, and benefiting people, it just wants to choke the life out of people. And if you're not sure what I mean when I say religion, religion is something that's it's imposed. It's a bunch of rules, like the Pharisees. Rules that are imposed on you that are not necessarily birthed by the Spirit of God or, or even things that you, that you really believe to be true. You know, that the Lord has specific principles you know, you can find it throughout the Bible, but they are always, always, always for the benefit of his kids. He is never against his kids. He's always for us. And the, the Pharisees were so angry at Jesus, but their anger was not justified. But now it says Jesus was very angry with the Pharisees, but his anger was justified because they were hurting his kids. And Jesus gets ticked when people hurt his kids. He does not like that. So if you're somebody who hurts Jesus' kids, you, you want to stop that immediately. <laughs> Don't keep doing that. <laughs> you know, they, they felt like Jesus was doing something that wasn't right. It wasn't just. And justice is the thing that we always want for others. We want we want justice to be meted out on others, but we always want mercy for ourselves, don't we? Any of you married? You have the rules and the law, and you, your spouse better live up to those rules. But when you blow it, you're like, oh, please show me mercy, right? Isn't that how we are? It's just like when, you go, when you're speeding, you do not want justice, Right? I mean, how many of you have ever been stopped by a highway patrolman and they pull you over and you were going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? Oh, thank you for stopping me. Could you please give me a ticket? Because that would be just. <laughs> That's not how we function. We're like, please show me mercy. I'm on the way. I'm late or, you know, whatever. We want mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for other people. But the amazing thing is that both justice and mercy are found at the cross. That God being holy and God being perfect couldn't just ignore sin. He couldn't just wink at sin. Sin had to be paid for. And the only one who could pay for the sin was God himself. Because there's no possible way we could ever repay God for as many sins as we have committed or will continue to commit, unfortunately. So God sent himself in the form of his son, in the form of human flesh, to come and live a perfect life on this earth so that justice could be found at the cross, that our sins could be forgiven because our, our sins were paid for. But then there's mercy, which is found for us. When we receive the forgiveness that he offered us, that's when he heals those areas in us that are deformed and broken and hurting. When we have those withered, paralyzed hands or whatever it happens to be, that's when we humble ourselves, when we receive his forgiveness, that's when God fills us with his spirit and pours out his spirit through us and to us. And that's what the cross is for. The cross is to save us 
from ourselves and from our sins and from, you know, I heard an interesting thing. Jesus actually spoke three times more often about hell than he did about heaven. And yet we just want to deny it. We want to deny that there is an actual hell, but Jesus didn't deny it. And he talked about it. And that's why when, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross, he offered that as his free gift. That, that when we acknowledge that and when we accept his forgiveness, we can be born again. When we admit that we're sinners, that we're helpless, that we're that man with the deformed hand, we have a paralyzed and a withered hand. We're powerless apart from him. But Jesus is saying, I want to fill you with my power. I want to fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit as you humble yourselves and empty yourselves and deny yourselves. That's when my power will be made perfect. So I just want to ask you to stand now. In closing, in my closing, (laughs) if there are those of you and you've never um, received that forgiveness You've never received the forgiveness that Jesus offered for you on the cross, that justice and the mercy, and that mercy that you can find by receiving him. Just want to ask you to just slip up your hand, just between you and me, slip up your hand and say, I want, I want to be forgiven. You? Yeah. I want to be forgiven. Anybody else? That's right. Amen. Yeah. Back back there too. Yeah. You want to receive the forgiveness. Jesus offered it. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Amen. Now for those of you who 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 know the Lord, you've walked with the Lord, but you know you have some deformities. You know you have some areas where you're really broken and you're really hurting and you're feeling weak, feeling inadequate. Um, Jesus just wants to heal you. He wants to come in. He wants to heal that, that deformity, that weakness, that inadequacy. He wants to fill you with his power. If that's you, just lift your hands up like this as a sign you want to receive the power. Lord, we pray, God, we ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would visit us with your Holy Spirit, with your presence, Lord, that we would, that we would understand, Lord, that we were created for a purpose, that you have a calling on our lives, Lord, and you want to use us to see your kingdom expanded. And we just thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And there's a third group of people in your, uh, your hearts become hard. Either because of, of disappointment, you've been praying the same thing for years, haven't seen any change. Jesus is just saying, I want to take that heart of stone, I want to turn it into a heart of flesh. Some of you are mad at mad at God either you've lost someone or something very important to you and you don't understand it or God just has not answered your prayers the way that you had hoped maybe you're infertile 
you long for a baby and you can't conceive. Or maybe you're just in the wilderness and you don't understand why God won't show you his spirit, why he won't show you who he is again. And Jesus is just saying, just come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you're hard-hearted because you're just tired, the Lord is here. He's here for you. He is here to touch you and to meet you in your time of need. So let's all just pray together. Lord, we, we come before you, Lord. We thank you that justice and mercy are found at the cross, Lord, that we can have those areas healed in us, Lord, those areas where we're crippled and paralyzed and deformed and broken. Jesus, that you long to pour your power out, Lord, and we want to receive that. God, each and every one of us, Lord, forgive us for hardening our hearts. Forgive us, Lord, for our doubt. Forgive us for not believing that you are who you say you are. Lord, we, we ask for forgiveness, God, and we ask you would pour out your spirit. Overwhelm us, Lord, with your presence. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.